1: Welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we bring you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlecker. I am your host, and this is part two of a two-part Series. Everyone loves series. If you go to Netflix, you find a series, you watch every single episode in a row. We don't have time to do anything. We have time to watch 15 episodes of some show that we like. This is a two part series, very simple, uh, very easy to understand and to follow. But if you have not watched part one, go back. That was our last episode. And I wanted to share both of these episodes with you. Um, Too much content for one podcast, so we broke it down into two. Today we are talking about, continuing to talk about, the First Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, There's a lot here, and I can't talk about all of it. But last episode, we talked about uh, freedom of speech and just how important that is and where that came from and why uh, it was really ensconced in the Constitution. The Constitution was sent to the states for ratification. Uh, It was ratified. Many notes came back with it, kind of conditional ratification. James Madison edited these together. And from that, we got our Bill of Rights. I read uh, from my pocket constitution, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States from Hillsdale College. Uh, For those of you that are listening and not watching on YouTube, go to YouTube. You need to watch. But uh, I am holding this up so you can see it. It's a very nice pocket constitution. But Amendment Number 1 uh, says this. I read this last week, and I'm going to read it again. First Amendment to the Constitution says this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's where we're going to spend some time today. It goes on, though. This is all part of the First Amendment. Or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. And to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Uh, This First Amendment, this first uh, part of the Bill of Rights, really, and again, we discussed this um, on our last episode, it, it really is intended to protect the right of citizens to express themselves, uh, whether it is through religious expression or through speaking and thinking, uh, through the press, the ability that we have to assemble. The First Amendment is intended to protect our ability as citizens to express ourselves. We come today to the first part of this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Um, We began with the second part, that is freedom of speech, and now we come back to the first part, which is the freedom of religion or the freedom of religious expression. I wanted to start with the freedom of speech, because that is fundamentally, foundationally, uh, where a free society comes from. And James Madison mentioned this. We looked at that last time. Uh, He said that unless we are able to think and speak freely, then our leaders, those who represent us, will not be able to lead wisely. Uh, This is the whole thing our ability to express ourselves, to take part in the process, to uh, really be governed by people who we choose to represent us, and they are governing us using the rules and the laws that we have a hand in making. So important. And when we talk about uh, restricting free speech, uh, we are talking about restricting freedom. We come today to religious liberty, and uh, man, this is... So important. Um, A lot of questions. (laughs) Um, We look at what's happening in our country and we know that in many ways religious liberty is under attack. Why is that? Well, because a lot of what happens under the guise of religion uh, is contrary, counter to the cultural narrative. In a world that is more and more secular, that is not religious secular, I won't say anti-God, but not religious, Uh, a world that is more and more secular, a culture in, in the United States, here in America, that is more and more secular, religious thought, religious speech, religious action, religious practice runs contrary to the secular philosophies and ideologies. And so in many ways, one small step at a time, religious liberty is being uh, pushed out of public conversation. Um, we've seen this happen in a lot of ways. Most recently, I think we've seen this happen during the restrictions of uh, COVID. We're kind of coming out of, hopefully, the COVID era. Um, been a crazy couple of years. You know <laughs> You know this. Uh, even the CDC has changed their guidelines for what it is to go back to school and uh, to go into public places. So a lot of things are coming back into where um, they were Pre COVID, we'll never be fully back there. And uh, man, that's another whole episode. But during the time of restrictions, we saw lockdowns. We saw people being sent home from work and being um, really restricted from their workplaces. They could now work from home, and a lot of things have come out of that. And Technology helped with that, made it possible. Uh, some of that continues, uh, but that happened. Uh, we saw public places being shut down, public gatherings being shut down, and along with all of that, uh, we saw churches being shut down by the government. Um, people will Argue that churches weren't shut down, they were just told not to meet. (laughs) In any meaningful conversation, that means they were being shut down. Say, well, they were being not shut down, they were just being told to meet online, and a lot of churches did that, um, started meeting online, others started meeting outside because they could fulfill uh, the requirements or the regulation of lockdowns uh, by meeting outside. A lot of concessions were made by churches and religious organizations to continue meeting um, in respect of what the government was telling uh, those of us to do, and we saw that happen. Um, After a short period of time when it became very clear that these lockdowns, these restrictions, these um, mandates against gathering were going to continue indefinitely, many churches started to push back. The churches said, we need to meet in person. This is a part of our religious expression. Um, The Bible tells us, or other religious documents uh, tell us, that we need to meet in person. And so, as an expression of our religion protected in the First Amendment to the Constitution, protected in the Bill of Rights, we need to gather. States, counties, cities across the country said, no, (laughs) we will not because we have mandates and we have emergency power authority. We are not going to allow you to gather. You're violating what is best for the common good as decided by us, those in government authority, this created an interesting situation. Many churches continued to meet online only. Other churches took a stand and said, "No, we are going to meet in person, regardless of what that. What happens?" Uh, what happened was a lot of churches were fined, a lot of money uh, threats were made. Arrest threats were made here in the United States. uh, There there was a lot of talk, there was a lot of saber-rattling, if you will, but very little happened. In other places around the world, in places where speech is not protected, in places where the free exercise of religion is not protected, pastors and parishioners alike, were indeed arrested. Uh, We know there is still a fight going on in Canada over many of these restrictions. Around the world, pastors gathering in homes and gathering in churches were arrested for gathering. This was a limit placed by the government on free religious expression. Here in the United States, we do thankfully have the First Amendment to our Constitution. We have our Bill of Rights that protected many of our rights even to gather and to worship. What we saw largely was here in the United States when churches said, no, we are going to worship, you as the government can do what you want to do, then the government stood down, precedent legally uh, was upheld, and thankfully churches have been protected. Why? Because we have (laughs) in our Constitution a Bill of Rights that protects the rights of citizens to express their religious preferences freely. We're thankful for that, but we saw in real time how free religious expression and the best interests of the government as determined by those in power in the government can come into conflict. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last. But it brings to a conversation like this one a heaviness importance around understanding what the free exercise of religion is, and also understanding why it is so important. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with My Pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1 800 870 0283. Use the promo code SITREP or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long. So order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. I want to read an article uh, to you today. I'll, I'll read some of this, not all of it. The article is entitled, What the Founders Thought About Religious Liberty Wouldn't Please Anyone. (laughs) That's a great title. What the Founders Thought About Religious Liberty Wouldn't Please Anyone. Uh, This article is found in The Federalist, and I would encourage you to go and check that out. Uh, Just as we did with an understanding of free speech, we, with this issue of religious expression and religious freedom, need to go back to the beginning. What did our founders mean What did they think about the free exercise of religion? I'm going to begin reading in this article, and um, it's helpful to take someone else's thoughts, to take an article like this one and get some context and then be able to break it down. Uh, This article, again, in The Federalist, written by Vincent Philip Munoz, uh, begins this way. He, He says this, The meaning of religious freedom remains one of the more contested areas of our constitutional politics. The progressive left tends to emphasize freedom from religion, especially freedom from the influence of traditional religious sexual morality. Uh, I'm going to pause here, but I mentioned this as we began this conversation. Uh, As our society, as our culture becomes more and more secular, moving away from, uh, here in the United States, a biblical understanding of morality, a biblical understanding of right and wrong, a biblical understanding even of uh, how governments and how communities should be established. Uh, secularization moves us further and further along uh, away from what the Bible says. Then we get into this. The progressive left tends to emphasize freedom from religion. I'm going to continue reading. Social conservatives, by contrast, emphasize the right to be religious especially the freedom to live and act in the public square according to one's religious convictions. With President Joe Biden's recent tweet that transgender equality is the civil rights issue of our time, the conflict between these competing views of religious liberty will only be amplified. Both sides in our current church-state debates claim the Founding Fathers as supporters. Progressives say the Founders gave us a secular constitution that does not acknowledge God or the Bible. The First Amendment, moreover, prohibits the establishment of religion, which Thomas Jefferson said erects a wall of separation between church and state. Conservatives countered that the founders embraced religion in their deeds. Consider George Washington's first inaugural, most of which was a prayer. It would be partic- peculiarly, let me say that again, I don't always speak well. <laughs> it would be peculiarly, you know what I mean, it would be peculiar. All right, I'm going to continue. It would be peculiar, improper, to omit in this first official act, President Washington declared, and this is a quote from Washington My fervent supplications to that Almighty Being who rules over the universe, who provides in the councils of nations, and whose providential aids can supply every human defect, that his benediction may con- uh, consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States. Those, again, are the words of George Washington to say that our founders, including our first president, wanted a secular government or a secular understanding of society is not reflected in their words or deeds. I continue reading the article. Conservatives also note that the First Amendment declares that Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. Whatever the Establishment Clause means, conservatives claim that the founders' speeches, deeds, and other constitutional provisions reveal that they did not intend to purge religion from the public square. Given these seemingly contradictory commitments, freedom from religion on the one hand and freedom for religion on the other, what are we to make of our first freedom? Does the Founders' Constitution offer a coherent understanding of religious liberty, one that we might recur today in our religiously and morally pluralistic nation? The Founders have much to teach us, but the lessons they offer do not neatly fit into our current political categories. Freedom from religion and the freedom to practice one's religion are, in fact, both aspects of the Founders' understanding of our inalienable natural right of religious liberty. Now, before you get mad and turn me off, Uh, Let's continue reading. Really, really important. Really important. The next section of this article. The Founders' Understanding of Religious Liberty. We don't quite understand the Founders because we have forgotten their basic principles of government. As we do today, the Founders used the language of rights. But their understanding of rights was far deeper, philosophically richer, and more integrated with a robust notion of duties than ours. We tend to think of rights as interests that are especially important or necessary. We say health care and freedom of speech are rights, for example, because we believe bodily health and the expressions of one's opinions are necessary to live a decent life. At the same time, our legal practice recognizes that even fundamental rights, such as free speech, can be curtailed if compelling state interests are at stake, and the government uses the least restrictive means to do so. The underlying presumption in how we recognize rights and in how we limit them is that rights come from the state. I'm going to pause here. This is me talking. <laughs> uh, we have talked about this already in this episode. We talked about this at length in our last episode. This is the presumption, the author here says, that rights come from the state. This is so important. Even outside of this conversation, when we're not talking about this in particular, when we are talking about right, when we're talking about how we're governed, the form of government that we hang on to, all these things that we discuss, uh, this is fundamental. Our founders did not believe that rights came from the government. I'm going to continue reading his article. He talks about this. He talks about natural law. Uh, but we do. We have come to the conclusion that lights are, uh, rights are given to us by the government. Our founders believed that rights were protected By the government. When we come to issues like religious expression or freedom of speech, uh, any of the other rights so-called that we have, if we view them incorrectly, we're looking at it from the wrong side of the fence, then we're going to come to the wrong conclusions. I'm going to continue reading. The author continues, "...we think good governments grant extensive rights to citizens because we believe the role of government is to satisfy our collective will and help us gratify our individual desires." but the extent to which any particular right is available depends on it being balanced against the other rights and state interests a process administered in the final analysis by the administrative state and the federal judiciary the founders had a different understanding <laughs> at least when it came to in quotes natural rights such as religious liberty please hear this natural in this context means that the foundation of the right lies in our human nature as created by God. I'm going to pause for just a second. I've gone back to this over and over and over again. If we were to pull out our pocket uh, Declaration of Independence and our pocket Constitution here given to us by uh, Hillsdale College, we would go down to the second paragraph, and these words are in the Declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Unalienable. Can't be changed. Can't be taken away. The Creator gave them. They can't be taken away. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Uh, We could talk about uh, all of the words here in the declaration, but what's being said? This was before the Constitution. From this came the Revolution and came the Constitution and came the Bill of Rights and came our government. What's being said right at the outset as our founders gathered together? Well, we hold these rights to be self-evident. (laughs) Anyone can see it. It's not given to us by government. Our basic rights, what this article here is calling our natural rights, you hear that phrase sometimes, our natural rights, those are the rights given to all men everywhere, men and women, that men is the collective, men and women, everywhere given to us by God. There's an entire new economy being created right now, filled with patriotic companies that have had enough of cancel culture and the left. One, you can support every day, and all you have to do is get dressed. I'm talking about under boxers. These have to be the greatest boxers ever made, probably because they have literally been tested by special forces operators. They're made with high-quality material that's antimicrobial, anti-pilling, and moisture wicking, so you stay fresh and dry all Day long, they come with a sturdy yet comfortable waistband that doesn't crack or loosen. UnderTack is durable, ultralight, and shrink resistant. Here's the best part: they're almost 30 percent less than the woke designer brands with the non-binary models. Go to getundertack.com. That's getundertack.com. Right now, when you buy three, get one free, but only with the offer code SITREP20. SITREP20. Support a great American company that's pro-America, pro-Second Amendment, and pro-military. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. GetUndertack.com. That's GetUndertack.com. Offer code SITREP20. I'm going to reiterate one more time. If we don't see our rights this way, as given by God, then we will always respond to government... When government says, no, these are now your rights. These are now what we'll allow you to do. These are the things that are okay now. But there are natural rights. I'm going to continue reading this article, but that has to be the foundation of this discussion. Let me continue. The natural right to religious liberty, in other words, is not granted by government It is a part of the natural fabric of the created moral order, an order in which rights and duties are reciprocal. A just government recognizes this pre-existing order. It does not create it. Rights and duties are reciprocal. Let me pause again. The author here makes such an incredible point. (laughs) The right is given to us by God, but with that right comes a duty. An obligation, a responsibility. You see, here's what we have come to in our country. We've come to a place where we are constantly demanding our rights and ignoring the responsibilities that come from those rights. And I, I think, in part, that's why we're struggling with some of these things. Freedom of speech, that's a right. I would argue it's a natural right, it's a God given right to think and speak freely. That's given to us by God. But with that comes a responsibility. I I finished our last episode by talking about right speech and true speech and good speech and helpful speech and encouraging speech. The right is to speak freely based on how we think. The responsibility is to use that right in a way that benefits others. So it is when we come to religious liberty, a God-given right to express our religious devotion as we see fit, as we believe is best. But with that comes a responsibility. Let me continue reading. James Madison, back to Madison, this guy. (laughs) Uh, It's funny if you read about James Madison, this is a complete side note. Read about James Madison, um, not an extremely popular president, although he was a president for a while when he became the president. Um, He was the president during uh, the War of 1812, and some crazy things happened, of course. And Not an extremely popular president, but absolutely essential to our understanding of our government, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and uh, the way our country was formed. Uh, Incredible thinker. James Madison, I'm continuing to read here, the most philosophically articulate founder on religious freedom stated the matter most clearly. Quote, What is here a right towards men, Madison explained, is a duty towards the Creator. It is the duty of every man to render to the Creator such homage and such only as he believes to be acceptable to him. This puts the order in the same place that the apostles put it, that we are to obey God rather than men. We could go to our New Testament, and we find in Romans 13 uh, what many people hang on to as the justification to follow anything that the government says. Certainly, there is, uh, given there, an explanation of the role of government in society, an institution uh, developed by God, the government. But the role of government in society is to protect good, to punish evildoers. But when the role of government usurps the role or authority of God. We, as those who express ourselves religiously, Christian people, to whom the apostle was speaking in Romans 13, are to respond to God rather than men. The priority is always God, not man. So we first ask, what is it that God wants us to do? And we respond to that. The role of government, as James Madison even says, as we find enumerated in the First Amendment to our Constitution, the role of government is to protect or defend the rights of those who are seeking to pursue what God wants them to do, and to punish the evildoer. That's the order. I'm continuing to read the article. Because we are first and foremost children of the Creator, our first allegiance is always to God. The political institutions we create and the civic obligations we impose accordingly must recognize our pre-existing sacred duties. Our politics must remain limited in its aims out of respect and deference to higher claims of religious authority. We have a political right to religious liberty because we have more sacred and sovereign duties to God. For the founders, then, the right of religious liberty imposes limits on the state's authority. Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. Because political authorities cannot legitimately exercise direct authority over religious exercises as such. Uh, This is a a question of uh, who has the authority to dictate how people respond to God. Um, The founders understood that only God could dictate that because He is the only authority. Uh, Before someone brings a case to a court, particularly, again, as someone brings a case to the Supreme Court... A question is asked regarding standing. Do you have standing to bring this case? Do you have the authority to bring this case? That's what we're talking about here. Who has standing? Is it the government or is it God? The point being made here is that it's always God. And so the government then, without standing, cannot, not that it shouldn't, that it cannot, not that uh, it's not best for them to, but that they cannot. They don't have standing. They don't have the right to prohibit the free exercise of religion. You see, we read this different. What we read is that Congress shouldn't. It's not a good idea. It would be best if they did not. But what the founders said, and what we believe, is that Congress cannot. Let me continue. Congress and the states, via the 14th Amendment's application of the First Amendment against them, lacks legitimate authority to regulate any aspect of religious worship, including by whom, how, where, and when it is performed. Government officials, accordingly, have no authority to punish an individual for improper worship or to command an individual to worship. Now, if you're listening to this and you disagree, um, what you're going to say is, well, our founders, even those before our founders, (laughs) as people were Escaping religious persecution and came to colonize uh, what became the United States, came to colonize the Americas. Um, Part of what they did in some places was mandate that people went to church. They punished them for not going to church. They made sure that they worshiped in the right way. Um, All of that is true. None of that changes what should be true and what we find given to us in the Constitution. By the time the Bill of Rights was written, our founding fathers understood you have the right to worship or not to worship that we as a governing body as those who are leading this country have no right we have no standing to tell you how to worship god that is indeed between you and god now in their lives and in their words our founders indicated certainly provided as an example to us certainly that Keeping God as sovereign and honoring God as sovereign and pursuing God as sovereign and asking first, what is it that God would want us to do? That that's the right way. But they protect the right to either worship or not. How or whether, I'm continuing to read, how or whether individuals' worship is not, properly speaking, a direct concern of government. It cannot be, since we the people do not, indeed, could not, give government that authority. That is what it means for the people to retain their inalienable rights. This absence of jurisdiction that prohibits regulation of worship as such is also why the Founders said government cannot establish a religion. The Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause together articulate the limits on government authority needed to safeguard individuals' natural rights to religious liberty. Just as government cannot regulate religious practices, It cannot legitimately license preachers or employ official religious ministers as agents of the state. To take two classic examples of what constitutes an establishment of religion. The founders understood these limitations on governmental authority to be categorical, which is why they declared that Congress shall make no law. For the founders, no law really means no law. Since government lacks authority to regulate religious exercises or license ministers, it can never legitimately do so. But the categorical character of religious liberty also means that its scope is relatively narrow. When governments act within its proper domain, religious citizens can be accommodated from burdensome laws, but they have no right to be exempted from otherwise constitutional laws. Likewise, if government cooperates with religious institutions to accomplish an otherwise legitimate civic end, No constitutional barrier is trespassed. The founders understood the inalienable rights of religious liberty uh, only to require the state to remain within its proper sphere. When it does so, legislation can affect religion in ways that religious citizens, just like other citizens, might find either advantageous or unwelcome. Um, We go back and we realize that the institutions created by God were the institution of the family, that is the home. We see that God uh, created the institution of the local church. And that God created the institution of government, of civil government. These institutions were created by God. And, and as such, these institutions should never have conflict or never run into conflict when they are functioning the way God the Creator intended for them to, cre- uh, for them to exist or function. Um, So many examples could be given here, but when the Creator creates and creates with purpose and design, when that thing that He creates is functioning according to that purpose and design, then everything is aligned, everything works well. It's when that thing, whatever that thing is, is uh, is not operating according to creation and design that things don't work so well. We could see this in so many examples, but when we're talking about the home, the family, when we're talking about... The church, and we're talking about the government, when each of those institutions given to us by God is functioning the way that it's supposed to function, then they align, they support one another. The church, the government, and the home supporting one another. And that seems to be the understanding that our founders had. That being a religious person does not give one the right to simply neglect constitutionally protected laws, with the rights of others. It's not okay, then, to practice religion and say that in the course of practicing my religion, I can harm someone else. They have legal protections under the Constitution as well. But you have the ability to practice your religion to worship as you see fit short of harming other people we could say well that's where there is government control of religious expression uh, we could also understand that the bible would ask us not to harm other people in our religious expression Throughout Scripture, we understand that people have the opportunity to worship God or not. They can also endure the consequences of not worshiping God, but that's a decision that can be made. The right of people, citizens like you and me, to worship God as we see fit is a right protected by, not given by, the government. Now, Practically speaking, what does this look like? Again, going back to the lockdowns of the last couple of years. It wasn't clean, and it isn't always easy to see, but I think so many churches handled this the right way and and in line with what we see. A pandemic was taking place globally. No one, at least initially, at least at the level of normal people, (laughs) Uh, understood the impact that this pandemic would have, we were hearing stories of uh, hospitals that were filled to capacity, limitations on the materials uh, and the resources that were needed to help people and to treat people, um, projections of uh, the numbers of people that would lose their lives as a result of this. Professional people, experts in this field, were telling us the citizens, that the best way to protect ourselves and to protect others was by staying away from people outside of our bubble. You know all of this. Lockdowns came from our national government and our state governments, and then down to our local governments. And along with that came a restriction, not just on gathering everywhere, but going to grocery stores, unless you absolutely needed something, or going into a restaurant. Those Things were all restricted, as well as, considered a public gathering, going to church. Um, Perhaps some churches never stopped meeting, but most churches looked at what was projected, listened to the experts, and given a timeline of two weeks, if you recall, most churches said, we're going to stop meeting in person for the next two weeks because we have no idea what impact this illness, this pandemic, will have on other people. We don't want to contribute to people dying. That was a decision made by most churches. When it became clear, however, that the projected impact impact of the pandemic, as well as the validity of the restrictions that were put in place, when those things became unclear or less clear, when it then became clear that those weren't as helpful as we were told that they were, when therapeutics and other things came online, churches said, we have a responsibility to meet in person. We stopped meeting in person for the good of our communities. And that was what God would want for us to do. But God has called us to worship, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. And so many churches with were against a lot of government pressure, said, you don't have to attend, but we are going to congregate just as God tells us to congregate. Some did it in parking lots because they had the ability to do that. Or in fields, many just went back into their buildings uh, making accommodation for people that didn't want to come into a building. But saying, our responsibility is to God first and government second. Not knowing the harm that would come from gathering, we believe that what God wanted us to do was to not meet for a period of time but we're not going to do this indefinitely simply because the government says to. We're going to ask God to guide us. To me, for those churches that quickly came back indoors and started to meet again, that's a wonderful picture of what we see protected and illustrated in the First Amendment of the Constitution. We must understand inalienable rights such as this, the right to free religious expression, was not given to us by the government. The government has no right, no standing, to tell us how to worship, where to worship, with whom to worship. The government's role in our religious expression is to protect our God-given right to worship. The responsibility of those who worship is to pursue what God would call them to do before <laughs> asking what is it that the government would have for me to do? And again, when the government and the church and the home are functioning the way that God designed, then God's leadership overall sees those three things aligned. There's not friction and there's not conflict. Where there's friction and conflict between those institutions given to us by God is when they're not functioning the way that God designed for them to function. Do not ever neglect the god-given right that you have to worship understand that in an increasingly society an increasingly secular society that the push the call to silence the voices of the religious will become louder more egregious more difficult to ignore <laughs> and to avoid but we must always do what god has called us to do and as citizens of this country to support those who understand that the role of government is to protect those God-given rights. Our founders were absolutely incredible, um, fallible men, not perfect. But I absolutely and sincerely believe that God used them, those founders, those men, flawed as they were, to produce documents in the Declaration of the Constitution and then adding to the Constitution and our Bill of Rights that are second to none in the history of the world as founding documents for a nation. I believe God uniquely used them. I believe God has uniquely used the United States in so many ways. One of those is the propagation of the gospel here in the United States, the sending of missionaries around the world to propagate the gospel. So many things that God has used the United States to accomplish for His end and for His purpose. And for those, we need to be thankful. But we need to also understand that as God used those men and used those documents and has used this nation, when we give up the rights that God has given to us, we have given up fundamentally who He created us to be and the opportunity to do what He has fundamentally created us to accomplish. Don't ever neglect your rights. Thank God for them. Thank God for the people that put them down in a way that can be legislated. But always stand up for Your God given, inalienable rights. Take this episode, if you would, share it out with other people. I I know there are folks that need to be encouraged in this regard. This is a strange time we're living in. The institution of the church is under attack. Uh, We could argue that a lot of that is because of people in the church, Uh, but it is nonetheless. And we need to stand up for the church and against those who would seek to silence the church. Share this episode out. If you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, subscribe. That would be fantastic. And uh, look forward to uh, sharing more content in the days ahead. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at mightyoaksprograms.org. Programs.org.